Luke chapter 12, we're going to be in verse 35. <coughs> Whoop. Next page. There we go. It says this. Be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You are to be like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, you can open the door for him at once. Blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get ready. Have, have them recline at the table. Then come and serve them. If he comes in the middle of the night or even near dawn and finds them alert, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Lord, Peter asked, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible manager? His master will put in, in charge of his household servants to give them their allotment of food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that servant says in his heart, Oh, my master is delaying his coming, and starts to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself to do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did, not, and, and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. Lord Jesus, I pray you open up, our, uh, open up your word to us here this morning. God, that you would show us your heart and intention that you were teaching to your disciples back then as you are teaching to your disciples here this morning. As we are here in your presence, God, I just pray that you would give us a, such an incredible um, knowledge and awareness of your, of your presence here among us, God, um, that you would be transforming our lives, Lord, as we experience your presence here with us here this morning. Move us and inspire us, Lord Jesus. Te uh, teach us, train us, and get us ready for action. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we all pack our, our stuff different for different occasions, right? So we, we went on vacation uh, this, this last week. Uh, this is us coming home from the airport. Um, and so we all, you know, pack for different occasions, you know, for traveling on a big, long trip, right? You got our backpacks and our luggage and, uh, and everything. Got our car seats. I got all these different things. Got my, got, got my computer bag ready, which you can't see is my computer bag and, my, and, my other, and the other suitcase. We got two suitcases. But, you know, for like just going down to the coffee shop, we don't bring that much stuff. <laughs> we pack differently for different circumstances. We pack like this, you know, for traveling to family. Um, but, you know, for, even for like work trips, going, you know, going to Billings for a work trip, you pack differently as if you were, you know, if you're going to Ireland or Africa on a mission trip or work trip or pleasure trip. Are you going to leave room for souvenirs? Are you not going to, you know, for Christmas, are you going to leave, are you going to pack another suitcase, 
you know, just to bring for Christmas presents to bring home. You know, what are you packing your trips for? And it, it forces us to think differently and more carefully the further away, more involved, and more important the trip. Right? You don't want to forget anything that's important. My, you know, my prayer when leaving on a, on a trip isn't that I would not forget anything, but that I would just simply not forget anything too important. <laughs> so make sure you got the important stuff, and then you'll, everything, everything will be okay. Because they got Walmarts in Texas too. So <laughs> Why? So that our travels can be successful. You know, we pack, what? To be prepared. To be ready. Especially on youth trips, I always pack several different pairs of underwear because you never know when your teenagers are going to freeze your underwear as a prank. <laughs> Happened several times. Oh. Didn't go with that one, but that's a good idea. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, I've learned the tricks on, on being a youth pastor on what to pack, on how to, on to pack extra. <laughs> um, to be ready, to not forget anything too important. Um, like this guy. You don't want to forget anything too important. Now, if you don't know, this is uh, um, Kevin McAllister uh, from Home Alone, right? You know, Macaulay Culkin. My wife hates this movie <laughs> because she's like, no mother who's worth her, worth her salt would ever forget her child. Like, well, you don't have 10 kids. <laughs> but... There, there's this, this element of, you know, pr this preparation. They, they did not prepare well, you know. They, so Kevin was left at home alone, hence the name of the movie. Um, but, so what happened, we, we find out this whole thing with, with, uh, with Kevin McAllister, right? So he is left by, at home, and it's this whole, like, story of discovery of what truly matters for him in his life. After everything is stripped away, and he has to take responsibility for himself, Right? He now has to figure out how to prepare for life without his family. Because he, he thinks mysteriously he made his family disappear. He didn't remember that they were going on a trip and maybe they, he, they forgot him. You know, all these things. All right. But what happens at the end, you know, the, 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 the thieves come. Right? He knows when they're coming, right? In our story, in our, in our scripture passage here this morning, he said that you know, when the, if the thief had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And so this whole story is, is a story of preparation, of being prepared. He knows what hour the thieves are coming at. And so he goes and he prepares this whole elaborate scheme of booby traps and, you know, and things like that for these thieves. And it's so funny watching my son watch this movie. Uh, I took a picture of it. I meant to put it here this morning, but I decided to go with this picture instead. But they were watching Home Alone. And my favorite part is when, you know, Jackson, you know, is, is laughing because he watches the guy in Home Alone 2, pulls the handle, and this giant toolbox comes falling down the stairs. He gets the, is the biggest giggle out of that scene. And, the, you know, the toolbox, you know, slams into the door and sends him sailing across the room and <laughs> into, the, into the wall. He's like, there was a toolbox falling down the stairs. <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, Jackson gets a tickle out of that scene every time. But, he, but Kevin was prepared. He was ready. And the whole movie is about this concept of being prepared. Not just being prepared for the thieves, but being prepared for life. You see him going out and buying groceries and all these different things. But then he un understands and comes to discovery, you know, that the creepy man that he always, you know, sees salting you know, the, 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 the sidewalk. He's a, a man that's hurting. And he gets to have a relationship and connection with him.
So being prepared for life and connection so that at the end of the movie when his mom returns, he is reconnected with his family and comes to appreciate his family. Even though they're not perfect, right? He comes to this appreciation for them. But the whole thing, being ready, get, you know, being, you know, this, this, uh, these first words of our passage here today, you know, being ready. This other, other, other translations say, gird your loins, right? Uh, put on, you know, put your big girl or big boy pants on. Be prepared. Get ready. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the theme over, overarching our entire scripture passage here this morning as well. Um, and so uh, and our, our, our sermon here this morning is to live a life that matters. As Kevin McAllister in, in Home Alone learned to live a life that mattered. What truly mattered in life? What essentials did he need to buy? What relationships, relationships did he need to have? And what relationships needed to be healed? And what did he do? He prayed that God would return his family to him. So he also understood that God is the one that he runs to in a time of need as well. But his, 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 you know, God calls his people to be ready. So Because to live a life that truly matters, we have to be ready. Israel, back, way back in, in Exodus, there's a festival that they celebrate called Passover. And God called his people to be ready. He said, gird your loins. He's, what does that mean? He means to, so they would wear this long, you know, tunic. And basically what that meant was to hike it up and to tie it around your, your legs so that you had this kind of diaper looking thing on. But your legs were ready. Your legs were free to run to go, to get, to get to action. This was what soldiers would do. Soldiers would gird their loins for action, for battle, to be ready to move at any moment. And part of the Passover, Passover, feast, <laughs> Passover feast was that they, you know, the, the God told them, get your sandals on, put your staff in your hand, gird your loins, be ready to go at a, at a moment's notice, but eat. Eat. But be in a posture of readiness. Be in a posture of, we're getting the heck out of Dodge. And so Israel has this understanding of this sense of urgency as God led Israel out of Egypt. And so the passage, and this, this, this same mentality, the same overarching backdrop is happening right now in our passage here, here today. Because where, where is Jesus going, as a reminder? He's going to the cross. He's going to his crucifixion. Again, remember, the, the disciples and the apostles have no concept of the crucifixion right now in their, in their minds. They're thinking that they, they're, they're going to rise up this big army, this big movement, and they're going to attract thousands more people and thousands more people as they've been doing, and that they're just going to take over the Romans and probably even take over the Jewish rulers and become the new governance of God's kingdom on this earth, over and above the high priests, over and above the Pharisees and the Sadducees that they would be brought down and God, that Jesus would be brought up as the chief priest over the temple and all that jazz, and they would kick out the Romans, right? So it was this whole, this whole mentality of establishment, bringing down the religious and, and political establishment and raising up, this thing. they had no concept of the crucifixion, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus and the giving of his Holy Spirit. That Jesus and, and his church would eventually unseat and, and dethrone the religious rulers. That the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees would collapse. But it wouldn't be by their doing necessarily. It would be by God's. 
and that, that the church would replace the authority of God on this earth. So Jesus is saying, this is the, this is the backdrop about what Jesus is saying. Because here, here's the thing, like God in Jesus came and his people weren't, you know, specifically the leaders, were not ready for him. So the backdrop of this passage isn't necessarily for us today, trying to paint a picture of us today. It's, it's showing where Jesus is saying, God came. He is here. Jesus, the Messiah, is here. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees weren't ready for him. These servants, because all, all back here, in, you know, the, the different prophets had all these very hard and harsh words to say to the, the shepherds to the priests and the Levites in the temple that were being unfaithful to God and saying God is going to come and judge the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the high priest, the religious rulership. And so Jesus is here saying these leaders have been found unfaithful and they will be held accountable. God in Jesus came to establish his new covenant people, no longer through the law, but through faith. No longer through doing the Mosaic law, but through being the presence of God on this earth through the power of, Holy, of his Holy Spirit. Our identity as the chosen people of God gifted and anointed his Holy Spirit. It's no longer through doing works of the law, but by faith but by grace. By grace you have been, been saved. There's no longer a works. God's kingdom demands loyalty. That's what we talk, we've been talking about, this word faith for a while, right? This word pistis, if you're, if you're, if you're not faithful to your wife, your wife's going to be pistis, pistos. <laughs> you know, faithfulness. It's not just this like mental assent. As though, you know, I believe, I understand, I think. Yes, I have a mental understanding that God exists. Because remember, Paul even says, yeah, even the demons believe. And they shudder. They have a mental understanding of God. They have a better theology than us. And yet they shudder. Why? Because they know their standing before God is bad. And their destruction is imminent. When we have an understanding of who we are in God, who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, it demands a loyalty. It demands faithfulness, even and especially in the face of opposition. So what does this look like in the church today? That saints, so that in our two passages, we're going to break this down into two sections. Our, the first section is about the servants. We're going to talk about the servants. And the servants are us, the saints. He's talking to us today in this passage. And the second part is the managers. He's talking about those, you know, what does it say? Like right there, you know, who then is the faithful and sensible manager his master will put in charge? And this is the leaders. These are like, these are the pastors, and leaders of the, the New Covenant people here today. Um, what will the master find? Will, his master, will, will the master find his servants and his masters doing uh, when he returns? 
And this brings us to our main point here for the here this morning. That God is calling us to live a life that matters. Thinking and doing things, thinking about things that matter, doing things that matter, and being ready. So be ready for the master's return. Live a life that matters. And what is a life that matters? Thinking about things that matter and doing things that matter. And what does this all encompass? It is being ready. Be ready for the master's return. And who is the master? The Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus is the master. So let's look at this. Servants is the saints. Us today. Now, what does he say? What is the posture that we're supposed to have in this? You know, be ready, what? For service and have your lamps lit. It's this, this element of, of posturing, being ready, this sense of urgency, like he talked to Israel, right? Have your staff in your hand, gird your loins, have your sandals on your feet, be ready to go, be ready. Cameron, you know what we're talking about here. Be ready, right? But here's the thing, we, we can't just live our lives like this. It's not always this like, urgent, 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 urgent. Oh, we're not constantly busy and feeling like we're doing things. We can't live our lives like this. This is not what he's talking, this is not really what he's talking about. And this is not really what he's talking about in this passage here. Uh, we don't live our lives nervous and anxious because what is the posture here? Where's the ball going to go? Where, where's it going? Is it going to go this way? going to go there? How fast is it going to go? Is it going to be curved? Is it going to be a Cameron serve? Oh my gosh, I'm scared of those. I've heard, I've heard stories. Cameron's got an amazing wicked serve, apparently. <laughs> but like, where's it going to go? It's like this, anx- this anxiousness. Like, where is it going to go? Where's it going to It's responding, right? You know. But it's not, this isn't the way that God has called us to live. It's, we don't live our lives nervous and anxious about the Lord's return. This is what is fear-based religion. I have to be afraid that I'm not doing enough. If I'm not constantly going overseas and doing mission trips and always doing this and always doing that. If I don't have a perfect life and I have it all together. Fear-based religion. We don't live our lives like this. We don't obsess and constantly worry about when the Lord will return. This is the revelation obsession. We know those people. You might be one of those people. Or you might have been in churches where all they talk about is revelation. Revelation, revelation, it's all they preach about. Revelation, revelation, revelation. When is the Lord going to be coming back? We've got to figure it out. Here's my chart. You want to see my chart? i got a whole chart right here. Come into my basement. I've got my, my little, you know, the strings everywhere. And got this, it looks like, you know, some like, conspiracy theorists, you know, board. What's that thing called with all the, like, the yarn and the connections? Is there a name for that? Crazy person board? Anyway. <laughs> right. Like the, the obsession with this thing, this, which also you know, ties into that nervousness, that, that anxiety, this, you know, this, this, this like, when is the Lord going to return? Because that's what I need to focus on. Versus remembering, again, here it's a little, little short aside, and then we'll come back to this rabbit trail. I really want to go down, but I'm not going to. Revelation is a letter. First, foremost, and always to God's people. And it's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter that says, no matter what crazy stuff hits the fan, stay faithful. The one who conquers, right? He says it over and over again. 
no matter what beasts come out of the ocean, no matter what crazy prostitutes and dragons and that and horsemen and bulls and trumpets, no matter what happens, no matter what judgment of the, of the Lord comes down on this world, stay faithful to Jesus. Because guess what? In the end, he wins. God wins. And we are invited to the banquet where there's no tears, no pain, no sorrow, the new heavens and the new earth coming down, the new city, Jerusalem, coming down. It's all about the end. That's what the letter's all about. Because remember, he wrote to the seven, what? Churches. You. He wrote to saints. He wrote to believers. Stay faithful. No matter what oppression comes upon you, no matter if they kill you, no matter if they behead you, no matter if they feed you the dogs, which they did, no matter if they put you on stakes and burn you in the, in the backyard of Nero's palace, no matter if they take all, all of your, your rights away from you, and so anyone, can, any, anyone and everyone can do whatever they want to you, kill you, persecute you, torture you, stay faithful to Jesus. No matter if you get Facebook, you know, put in Facebook jail or banned from social media because you're, you're standing firm in your faith, Stay faithful to God. That is what Revelation is all about. So what is the life of a, of a Christian all about? What is he calling us to in this passage? Being what? Ready, which means doing. Being ready is not just a waiting posture. Doing nothing and just waiting. Just having this like divine escapism. What is it? Not finding his servants prepared. He wants to find his servants prepared. Finding the servants active and doing. Not just finding, you know, wait, you know, seeing that, you know, coming home and they're like sitting there on the bench saying, well, we were waiting for you the whole time. What'd you do? Nothing. We're waiting. We're, we're waiting for you. He's like, seriously, guys? Come on. I keep, come on. What was my command again? Love one another? Oh, you didn't do that. Okay. Doing, being active, being doing, readily and, and you know, maintaining the estate. What would servants back then do? They would be maintaining the estate. Going and plowing the fields, sowing the fields, harvesting the fields. They'd be cleaning the house, keeping it dusted, keeping the food fresh, right? Because the master could come home at any moment. He doesn't want to come home to moldy cheese. <laughs> keeping fresh cheese in the house, feeding the other, the other servants, making sure the estate is being taken care of, right? Investing in and, and, and in the land and the property, living basically as though he never left, so that when he comes home, it's better than when he left. It's amazing when you come home from even like a week-long trip or something like that, you know, vacation, you come back and like you kind of look around, what's new, what's new? Seemed like every time I always came home in Riverside, every, something else was new. Like even I went back to West, you know, in Texas, where I lived for about four years, and there was a, they have McDonald's now. Wow. And I think they're getting a Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so it's like new things, new things. So like when the master comes home, how, what did you do with what he gave you? What did you do with what he entrusted to you? Because remember, it's not yours. It's the master's. What did we do with what we were given with? Will God find you active and doing when he returns? Now, here's where the, the balance becomes very important. 
Don't confuse this with an earning your salvation, you know, as though, you know, in favor through works. This is not like a works-based salvation. This is what, not what I'm talking about. It's very easy to get into that, you know, works-based salvation. Uh, you're not doing enough for the Lord. But, can, but again, remember, that's the religious way of living. That living in that fear and anxiety of not doing enough. But this is the thing, you know, we are, what is God wanting us to do? This is, I'm talking about living a life that matters. Because living a life that matters is not a life that's lived in fear, but in anticipation and cultivation. We anticipate the Lord's coming, and we cultivate for him. So that when he comes home, it's better than when he left it. It's better than when our master left, so that we're cultivating a world for his return. Like, for instance, like a gardener. A gardener plants in anticipation for what? Fruit. The end result, the the purpose of planting and gardening is for the food, for the fruit. Like a rancher. A rancher cultivates livestock for the meat, for the food. Right? A saint works in anticipation, and get this, for the joy of of the celebration of the culmination of the kingdom of God. We're working in this life in full view of the banquet feast of the Lamb. That is our inspiration. That is our motivation. Is the glory of God and for the the gathering of of His kingdom. For the culmination of the kingdom of God the salvation of our souls, the glorification of the Lord God, and the victory, God's victory in the end over all darkness, over all evil, over all brokenness, over all pain. To focus on the Lord Jesus' command to love one another. This is my command that I give you, a new command that I give you. This is is my command. Love one another. In all this, it's not a posture of fear and anxiety of not doing enough and a pressure and a a guilt trip and a shame. It's an inspiration. What are we working for? Who are we working for? Because why? There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. Now this passage has several elements that, that kind of cultivate this fear and awe and, and things like that. But if we remember the new covenant of grace that we're walking in, and the context of the church today, what Jesus was living and going to die for, it is to cast out all fear by the blood of Christ and his resurrection. Right? And so we focus our minds, thinking about things that matter. What? Finally, brothers, we talked about this passage last week. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Because as a reminder, it's living a life that matters thinking about things that matter, doing things that matter, 
Because when you think about things that matter, you do things that matter. So we focus so much on that word metanoia, which we often translate as repent, to change our mind, to shift our thinking, to think about things that matter. And what are those things? Is those true things, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. So when we think about those things, we do things that matter. We do those things. We do justice. We do what is praiseworthy. We do what is lovely. We do what is true and honest and pure. It comes out into our lives. And this way of living becomes our readiness for the master's return. Because what he said, blessed are those servants. Verse 37, blessed will be those servants the master finds alert when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will get he will get ready. Or he will, as the, as the passage says, gird himself. Right? And have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. Where do we see that in Scripture? At the, Lord's, at the Passover dinner before he, before he was crucified. He girded himself and he came and served his disciples. And what does he do at the end times? Right? He hosts the banquet. He serves us, his bride. We eat at the table of the Lord. The banquet feast of the Lamb. This, this banquet feast that he's talking about, right? You're like people waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet. And we're about to be brought to the wedding banquet. Basically, he's bringing the wedding banquet to us. He's returning girding himself and serving us. That is our hope. It's this crazy reversal of roles. You know, this was not even, this concept was like not even heard of in, in their days. They're probably looking at Jesus going, huh? What? Master serves us? That's not a thing, Jesus. <laughs> you know? But Jesus is saying, hey, guess what? Yeah, it is a thing. It's the way of my father. It's my father's thing. And it's my thing. And I'll do that for you. And guess what? I'm going to do it for you. Like we'll later read about in a, in a while. Now let's look at the second passage here as we wrap up. Jesus asked. I'm sorry, Peter asked, right? So this is the managers are, are associated to the leaders. And Peter asked the question, Lord, are you telling us this parable or to everyone? And so it's interesting that Peter, what, becomes the leader of the church after Jesus ascends he, in essence, becomes that new shepherd, that new leader in the church. Basically, the new high priest, if you will. Not in some, like, Catholic way where it becomes, like, the, this, like, pope and, like, you know. Not what he's talking about, this lineage. But this is basically, Jesus, you know, Peter asks this question, and Jesus answers. This is Jesus' assignment for the apostles. To cultivate and, and to launch the church. And to perpetuate this kind of leadership throughout the church. Wherever there's a church to establish this kind of leadership, this kind of leadership. What kind of leadership? A leadership that is ready. Now, the question, you know, there's so many. I mean, the last 30 years have done, you know, the church growth movement, well, I guess 40, 40 years now. 40 years of the church growth movement have produced a lot of <coughs> leadership books. And I read a lot of, I read quite a few of them. Um, especially with our LLC, the pastor's meetings that I go to once a month. Right, we read different things about leadership in the church, leadership in the church. And I get so annoyed, <laughs> to be honest, quite, quite honestly. I get so annoyed 
with how much they take their cues from the world. So much church leadership takes their cues from, from people who don't care about people. They care about, you know, building these mass empires and corporations of churches, church organization. And the church, from my understanding of Scripture, was established as an organism, as something that is organic, that God works, and God blesses, that God shifts. They were organized. Like, for instance, like in Acts, he talks about, you know, they got so big that the apostles couldn't serve everyone during the daily distribution, so they rose up, you know, deacons to help serve the physical needs of the church. They got organized pretty quick because they realized with a lot of people, you got to kind of be organized, right? But treating people as people, because what the corporate American church mindset does is it uses, it basically treats people as users, as, as customers, and they use people in order to build an organization, in order to build a church, right? Versus using organization to build people. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, I want you, you know, you are supposed to be faithful. Like, because what, what is he saying? Basically, he's, <laughs> he's talking about the Pharisees here. But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying in his coming, and he starts to beat the male and female servants and to eat and get drink and get drunk, that servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him and an hour he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unfaithful. That was what happened to the Pharisees and the high priests and the Sadducees. They were found unfaithful because they used and abused the flock. And there are many pastors in this world that will be that are using and abusing their churches to bolster their own celebrity status, to bolster their own reputation, to build church organizations and destroy the flock, to beat you. So how do good leaders lead well? Is it methods, strategies, tactics, bag of tricks, charismatic preachers? And I've got a vest on, y'all. All I need is the mustache. You grow the mustache back. <laughs> a guy hyped up on you know five-hour energy or something, or you know, hyped up on coffee. I don't know who does that. <laughs> is it power? I just read the, the book Tove talks all about church abuses by pastors who are very heavy-handed, controlling, manipulative. Again, using religion and works-based salvation as a way to control and manipulate a, a church. Basically saying, treating themselves as the Messiah and them as you know, people, you guys, y'all, all y'all, as they say in Texas, as what, you know, basically using you to bolster their reputation and their platform, right? Are they articulate? Are they powerful? The end result or benefit and flourishing um, is dependent on where the people are being led to. Where are God's people being led to? This is, where, this is more important than the methods or the character or charisma of the leader himself. As we look at Psalm 23, this is a great example. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, because otherwise the, the sheep will freak out and run away. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you see this, this illustration of, of the good shepherd? Remember, Jesus himself even calls himself, I am the good shepherd. Right? Sheep are led by their shepherd to good pastures, to calm waters. And they are led and protected from predators along the way to give and present the sheep to the owner of the sheep. They're caretakers. Shepherds are caretakers of the flock for their owner, for their true owner. Where leaders lead is most important. How leaders lead matters, but not as much as where they're leading them to. As long as the leader isn't consuming and abusing those that they lead, they are accounted as faithful if they wind up getting them there. Where are they leading the sheep? Where am I, pastor, leading us as a church? Now, there's this, this concept of, of the managers and leaders. There's, in my mind, there's, there's been this big, this word when it talks about leaders and churches and the, the whole church culture and, and environment with, with reading that book, Tove, and all these different leadership books. And, the, and, the, and a big word that comes up in my mind is disappointment. There are, you know, just in, in the world, I mean, pastors, you know, oftentimes pastors meetings got, to, you know, were put together because of their disappointment in churches. The people, I've heard people say, oh, churches are so lame. I'm just like, so there's like, there's, there's like that culture of disappointment of pastors in their churches. And on the flip side, disappointment of churches and their pastors. I wish you were more fill in the blank. As pastors say of the church, I wish y'all were more fill in the blank, right? And people with churches. I mean, people just every day, you know, us in the church, walking into a church and having a disappointment in the church, like church shopping. I've had several conversations of people that are church shopping. And the biggest thing that I hear from people who are church shopping is their disappointment in what that church had as a consumer. Well, they had this, but they didn't have this. Their children's ministry was eh. The guy's sermons were eh, but the music was awesome. You know, their kids' thing was amazing. The worship was eh. The worship was YouTube. I mean, those churches, you know. But the pastor there, man, he wears vests and he's amazing. But we have this, this, this consumer mentality and disappointment with this church and this disappointment with that church and genuine hurt that's been cultivated by churches in people's lives. Talking at my family reunion, there's several people in my family, you know, cousins that have been hurt by, by the church. So they're church shopping, right? Because of hurt, because of disappointment. That word disappointment just keeps, keeps coming up, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And I was reminded of that, of that phrase, you know, of uh, Kennedy. Ask not what your church, your, your, ch- your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I don't know if that's actually his accent. Got him killed, though. <laughs> but now we live in a, in a generation that is the fulfillment of his statement. This, this generation asked this question, what can blank do for me? Marketing appeals to this. 
They call it the Witham. What's in it for me? That is the big thing in marketing. Putting your, your, yourself in the mind of the consumer, of the customer, to ask, what's in it for me? Now, it's not necessarily an evil in and of itself, but it can get out of hand in the sense of where it creates a culture where people are church shopping. They're shopping for a church as you shop for laundry detergent, or you're shopping for a computer, or you're shopping for this or that. And the, this is the litmus test for living in our lives today. <clears throat> but what is, the, what is this element of leadership in the church all about? Where the leader, where the shepherd is leading the flock? Do we end up at Jesus? Do we end up healthy along the way? Am I leading you to green pastures? Am I leading you to the quiet waters? Am I protecting you along the way? Am I leading you to the good shepherd? Leadership is, 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 that is tested by where we end up. Now, it's not like you know, a, a, a me, you know, a, uh, you know, the means justify, you know, the, end, the ends justify the means. Right? It's, it's, you know, because if, if I'm not faithful along the way, if, we're, if we leaders in this church are not faithful along the way, then we're going to end up in the wrong place. But I want us to end up at Jesus. Always. At the end of every Sunday morning gathering, at the end of every conversation, at the end of every act group, I pray that every time we leave any kind of gathering, we are led to Jesus. Always. We are led to his word. We are walking by his spirit. The big things, we are devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That these things are on our lips. These things are on our agenda. These things are written into our calendars. We're not just finding time for them. We're making time for them. This even says in the scripture, like obeying your leaders and submitting to them. Since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. So the main thing is finding that leader finding leadership that is leading you well so that it is what? Profitable for you. Because you don't want to be led by the wrong, by the wrong leader because there's plenty of those out in the world as well. So be, be mindful, be, be careful, be attentive to who you're listening to in the world as well. Podcasts and stuff are, are readily available to us now. Um, because I'll be held, held to a higher standard. And this is what it means, to live a life that matters. Thinking about things that matter. Doing things that matter. So that we are ready for the Master's return. I was struck by that thought, and I'll close with this. I was struck by that thought this morning as we were singing. What is the end result of where we're trying to go? What, what do we want to do as a church? I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. Creating a church that they see the goodness of God, that they see the flourishing and joy of God, that they see and experience the kingdom of God. Are people, is this a place where the kingdom of God is experienced? Is this a place in these relationships, in the way that we're, we're formatting our gathering spaces and formatting what we're doing and how we do it, that people see this and they say, I want in. That looks awesome. That seems amazing. I'm hearing the stories of what God is doing 
in their midst, and I want in. Because remember, Israel, all the way to the, from the very beginning, was meant to be the expression, the presence of God on this earth. Israel was, was where people from Babylonia and Egypt and all over the, the ancient Near, Near East world could go to experience God. The church, the kingdom of God, us, we today are that manifestation in the world. The, we are the place where people are, are meant to come to experience God, to hear God, to love and be loved by God. Are they experiencing God? Are we experiencing God? First and foremost, because here's the thing, if we're not experiencing God, if we're not enjoying the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer, if we're not hearing and experiencing the, 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 the apostles' teaching on a weekly basis, on a weekly basis, are people going to see our gathering spaces as a place that they want to be a part of? We want our spaces, our places, to be filled with faithfulness to the Word of God, to walking by His Spirit, to encouraging and serving one another. So that when people come into this place, when the people come into this fellowship, they experience the presence, the power, the presence, the goodness, the love, the joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control of the very Spirit of God. Healing. Signs and wonders. This is what it means to live a life that matters. Go to work. Work our, work our, work our jobs. Be faithful in raising our families. Engage in the culture around us. Engage in, in bringing healing and, and doing what we do and doing it well. Doing construction. Doing it well. Making, preparing food. Doing it well. Cleaning homes and doing it well. Playing volleyball and doing it well. Doing what you do and doing it well. It's not a we stop everything that we're doing and we're going to go out in the woods and do nothing, just waiting for the Lord. Is he going to come back and find us active and doing and walking, walking by his spirit, doing the things of, of the Father, devoting ourselves to him and to his kingdom, building his kingdom, loving one another, serving one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens. Will he find us faithful when he comes back? That is what life is all about. Living a life that matters and being ready for the master's return. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence here. We thank you that you are, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You've given us all things that we need so that we can work and work hard and do well and provide for our families, provide for your church, provide for... Um, for cultivating the kingdom of God, being a kingdom outpost in this world here in Belgrade. And God, I pray that you would, you know, that you would teach us and show us, Lord, your desire, your, your will for us as people, for us as families, for us as act groups, for us as a church, Lord, that we would follow your, your, your direction and your trajectory, that we would be found faithful upon your return, Lord Jesus, that we would be a, a people that you would find faithful 
May the fire of our devotion light the way for people to come to Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.